and welcome to Leeds Voices, the weekly podcast brought to you by the University of Leeds. I'm Alex Regan and this week the university is celebrating its staff and alumni who have been named in a King's Birthday Honours List. Engineers, historians and even scout leaders are among those members of the Leeds community who have been honoured for their contributions to society. And biomedical scientist and Leeds alum Professor Steve Jackson is among them. He received a knighthood as part of the birthday honours. Steve is both a researcher and entrepreneur and heads up the Cancer Research UK Cambridge Institute and is also a professor of biology at the University of Cambridge. Alongside research, Steve is also a successful entrepreneur. He founded Kudos Pharmaceuticals, which developed the so-called cancer wonder drug, Olaparib, which has been used to treat 75,000 people worldwide. The synthetic lethality drug exploits the genetic weakness to kill certain cancer cells while leaving normal cells unharmed, and is a world first. And as luck would have it, Steve happened to be visiting the University of Leeds in the days after the King's Birthday Honours list came out. I spoke to him earlier this week about receiving the honour and returning to where it all started, at the University of Leeds. Firstly, hello, Professor Sir Steve Jackson. Um, how does it feel to be known as Professor Sir Steve Jackson? Uh, it's going to get a take a little bit of getting used to, I think, actually. Um, it's strange getting to my age and changing your name, essentially. Um, but no, it, it, it feels good. It will take a little bit of getting used to. I mean, it's an incredible accolade and an honour to receive, but at the same time, you've uh, you've had quite an extraordinary career. Can I just ask a little bit about what it means to you to be recognised in this way in the King's Birthday Honours? It's always great to feel recognised for things that you may have done that others feel are worthy. And so that's just a very nice feeling personally, but it also it's a very nice feeling, I think, for all the people connected to my research group over the years, the companies that I've interacted with, um, and the broader network of, of, of people, individual family members and whatever, uh, we can all reflect in this because... What I think is being recognised here is an academic career which started in the University of Leeds, uh, essentially with my degree, biochemistry degree here, over the years culminating in a range of outputs, training a range of people and developing um, compounds and in, in some cases drugs that are meaningfully changing people's lives positively in the medical arena. Obviously, the drug Olaparib um, has been hailed as pioneering, life-saving, and it's just been made available under licence for hundreds of patients in the UK. How does it feel to have founded the company Kudos Pharmaceuticals that develops that drug and is saving lives worldwide? It's a wonderful th- feeling. I mean, it didn't happen overnight. It's many years of intensive efforts, initially in my academic lab, giving rise to the company, and then working together with drug discoverers and ultimately clinicians, patient groups to deliver this and get it over the line. Um, and uh, it's great to know that UK patients are benefiting for from this drug which was developed here in the UK but of course this drug is also being uh, provided and sold uh, through many other countries throughout the world um, and it's been an absolute privilege to meet a small number of patients who who uh, have come off the trials and, uh, and, and have been treated with this drug and sustained major clinical benefit and in some cases probably cures. And one thing that has struck me about your story is that it's not just the theory uh, behind these drugs there's practical application and 
you've gone and developed these drugs that are now being used worldwide. How do you think you go about being both an academic, a researcher, but also creating the real world applications for the research that you're involved in? Well, in my case, it really has just been following the science, doing the science I'm interested in, which is in a field of DNA repair, a fascinating field. And then a number of years ago, spotting an opportunity to translate this into the real world and not being in the end frightened about giving it a go. It was stepping outside of my comfort zone to set up a company, and I've set up several companies over the years since that time. Um, but it's also all been about bringing the right people in because I have a certain set of skills, bringing people with complementary skills to actually deliver on this opportunity. And, um, you know, you need a little bit of um, luck along the way. And I think that's what we've had. We've hit bumps on the road, too. But it's taken many years to get to this stage. But it's wonderful to know that all those combined efforts have got us there in the end. And I'm very pleased that I've been able to play a role both as, a, as a, an academic fundamental scientist, but also, if you like, as an entrepreneur. You've been developing synthetic rescue therapies. This is something that, you know, as a layman, I have no understanding of. Can you explain a little bit about what that is? Yeah. No, that's, that's a great question. So it, it turns out that, um, that there are two principles that my companies and actually my science have been harnessing over the years. One is synthetic lethality, which sounds bad, but it can actually be used in cancer treatments, and synthetic rescue. And they're both basically two sides of the same coin. And basically what they reflect is that health is about balance, disease is about imbalance. And we know that imbalances occur in cancer and other diseases. So you can have a cancer which is imbalanced because of, let's say, a genetic defect in some, something such as a BRCA1 or a BRCA2 gene. And what synthetic lethality does is we develop drugs to exploit the genetic weakness of the cancer, to push it over the edge, to kill the cancer cell, but not to kill the balanced normal cells of the body of the individual. And that's what this drug, Alaprib, has actually achieved. It's a world first in that arena, tr killing the cancer cells through synthetic lethality, but not killing the normal cells of the patient, which is obviously you don't want. Synthetic rescue is the other side of the coin, and my latest company, Adrestia Therapeutics, is now exploiting that, and we're looking at this academically in my research lab. In this case, you identify an imbalance connected to a disease, a genetic disease, and then you identify drugs to rebalance or rescue that back towards a normal, healthy balance. And we're using genetic screens and we're identifying targets that we hopefully will be developing new drugs against. This all started really during your time at Leeds when you graduated in 1983 and you've gone on to incredible things. Uh, you've, uh, you studied in Edinburgh, the US, and you're now at the University of Cambridge. But how does it feel to be back at Leeds at the time that uh, it's been announced that you are Professor Sir Steve Jackson? And uh, what's it like going to the Leeds Cancer Research Centre and talking to our academics here who are also involved in cancer research? It's extremely interesting timing uh, to, to come full circle, as if you like. Um, you know, my fundamental training, obviously, I went to school, I went to, to, to sixth form college and whatever, and, 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 uh, and, and uh, secondary school. But it was really in Leeds in the early 80s that I learned, you know, the real nitty gritty details of genetics 
um, chemistry, biochemistry and biology. And, and it's those that have basically provide the grounding for my career and my academic career ever since. And it's those principles that we've been exploring and exploiting in the context of these new medicines that we have and hopefully will deliver. That's fantastic. And something that really, really fascinates me is the process of being told that you're going to be offered a knighthood. How did that come about? Because I feel like there's an element of sort of cloak and daggers. Does someone approach your family to ask them, would you be interested in accepting a knighthood? How did you come about finding out that you were going to be given this honour? Well, it it is all done almost always behind the scenes. And, and, you know, I don't know who or which group of individuals or companies or charities or whatever put me forward for the knighthood. I know that these um, nominations are scrutinised in a great deal of depth. So it may be that I've been under consideration for quite some time. I don't know. But I did receive a a letter um, a month or so ago which, which highlighted the possibility of me being knighted. And I needed to provide a few details about myself, my background, and was a bio sketch um, essentially accurate? And I responded basically to say, yes, I ticked the boxes and I got an acknowledgement. But that was about it. And then I was waiting um, for the announcement the, uh, of the King's uh, birthday honours list to see if I really was on it. And I was delighted to see that I was on the list. Uh, absolutely amazing that there's basically a checklist and then a month later you're on the honours list. Yes, and uh, so I didn't know until I read it that it actually was going to happen. So uh, anyway, an interesting procedure, but I think the best best thing about it is not knowing that you're nominated and uh, by whom. Maybe I will actually learn at some stage who who might have been involved in putting me forward, but um, I just want to thank whoever did do that. Uh, It's a great, great honour. And um, I hope that it's you know, this is a way of, I think, indicating that the country recognises that that innovation can stem from fundamental academic science uh, and that we do a pretty good job at this in the UK. And we have a great ecosystem of academic science, but also we have the companies and the clinical infrastructure uh, to bring these forward and take them over the line. And obviously, I mean, this this honour is just a punctuation of a career that is continuing leaps and bounds. What is next uh, for you and the companies that you run and also the uh, the research institutes that you're senior group leader of, uh, as you are a senior group leader of the Cancer Research Institute in Cambridge? Um, so hopefully I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing now for many years, or at least a significant number of years. Um, I've got a fantastic group of people in my academic research group, there's about 20 of them, and they're, they're doing some really exciting cutting-edge projects into DNA repair, understanding the mechanisms, and we think coming up with new opportunities that will be able to hopefully down the line improve cancer therapies. I'm also connected to um, uh, the companies that I advise and and, uh, and 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 work with from time to time, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to continue playing a, ro- a role or roles in in helping shape their programs so that they can hopefully deliver in a new generation medicines. Um, but it's a very dynamic arena. There's lots of changing um, applications, technologies and whatever in science. And that's why I think being a scientist, a, certainly a cellular molecular biologist such as myself, cancer researcher, is a fantastic career uh, and very excited to continue for some time, I hope. And was there anything that inspired you to get into the field of cancer research? 
Um, <clears throat> the reason why I got particularly interested in cancer research is it's about fundamental cell biology and things that go wrong in cells to push them in that cancerous journey. And I think if you just step back for a moment, if, if we understand what goes wrong in a disease like cancer, that's the best way of trying to think of, of how we might be able to prevent, treat or, um, uh, or diagnose cancer better. But it's not just about cancer. These fundamental mechanisms going on in our bodies and our cells are also underpinning other diseases, neurodegenerative diseases, infertility, developmental disorder, diabetes. And so this basic fundamental understanding of biology um, is also helping to deliver in the understanding and develop new medicines across the board. And do you think there'll be a point in the next couple of decades where we might be able to say that we are a cancer, uh, we are a cancer-free society potentially? I'd, I'd hope that that will be the case, but I think that is probably overly optimistic. Um, cancer is probably going to be an inevitable thing um, for many of us uh, going forward. But I think what will change and is changing is that we can deal with cancer better. We can keep cancer at bay. We can maybe stop it occurring to some degree and we can find better ways of treating people in smart ways. So increasingly, I think cancer will be become a disease that in the end, people will end up dying with rather than dying of. So it's something that may be converted into something that is there, but is kept at bay. And in the end, I think We'll probably all die of something in the end, but I think we are moving to dimensions where an increasing number of cancers will be cured and that many more people will be living very long-term lives, normal lives, essentially normal lives, with their cancers being held at bay. That's wonderful. Professor Sir Steve Jackson, thank you so much. Pleasure. It's great being back in Leeds to have this interview with you. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Leeds Voices. It was written and produced by me, Alex Regan. Leeds Voices is brought to you by the University of Leeds Advancement Team. You can follow us on social media at Leeds Alumni or email us at alumni at leeds.ac.uk. Leeds Voices.